Welcome back. Hi, friend. Really grateful that you have decided to listen to this episode today. If you're new, welcome. Thank you. If you're not and you're just coming back, this is the episode. I want to invite you to grab a cup of tea, a mocha, a matcha, something delicious, because something delicious happens between my co-host and I today. This is the Connected Calm Life. My name is Lane Kennedy. I'm your calm coach. I'm here to really bring you into the present moment, your practice. Make sure to check out the show notes over at lanekennedy.com forward slash podcast. And also while you're there, check out the DNA coaching that I have. I put it on special right now for the end of the year pricing. The DNA package is something that is kind of mind blowing. When we look at the DNA, it doesn't lie. So I'd love to be able to serve you in that matter. If your health is struggling or if you're up against something that you want to change now, we can do that. All right, let's get into today's episode. Again, grateful that you're here. I know. Love is possible. It's really sweet. We have something really sweet. I have another uh, friend in long-term recovery and she had a partner divorce and thought never it was never going to happen again and then she met her partner and it's like magic isn't that great yeah i think that it, it's like so it's i love it i love hearing that i love that we have all these lives i know we think that we know we have no idea <laughs> we know shit we don't know shit <laughs> newsflash Hi, I'm Catherine Just, and you're listening to The Connected Calm Life. Welcome back. How are you, my friend? I hope you're having a great moment. Welcome to the show. My name is Lane Kennedy, and you're listening to The Connected Calm Life with Catherine and I today. Really glad that you've tuned in. I know you have lots of options, right? There are so many podcasts out there. It's like a billion podcasts. And we're lucky enough to have you with us today. And Catherine is a new friend, which I'm super stoked to have her with me. Uh, and Catherine, you're sober a long time as well. Yes. How long are you sober? One billion years. What? See what I'm talking about? One billion years. Okay. I got sober when I was 18 and I'm now 53. That's so I'm 34 years of continuous sobriety. Right. I think that's really epic and important to say. Uh, it's important to say continuous, at least for me it is, because I have continuous recovery as well. And it's also important to say that you got sober yet, like at 18. Like yeah. y- you could be 18 and get sober. And, right, and we're living in a, in a world of crisis today. And there's so many young people who are stuck, trapped, with addiction and you are walking like you're walking miracle and model of recovery. I, I, I have goosebumps. It just makes me emotional to think about that. I had no idea the miracles that would be my life now. Not that it's all rosy, but just, I had no idea. Right. Yeah. I didn't have a clue either. (laughs) I always laugh about, I don't know why I laugh. It's like just an uncomfortable moment of like not knowing because because I was such like a know-it-all when I first got in recovery. I I, I know everything. 
Where'd you get sober? I got sober. <laughs> I grew up in San Diego and I, I told my parents I needed help and, and I checked myself into treatment and it happened to be at the top, on the top floor of the hospital that my dad worked in. So he was real happy to oh. have his drug addict daughter upstairs. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. But then I, you know, I went to the treatment, then I went directly to a plane and flew to Minneapolis because the counselors in treatment told me that's where they came from, Minneapolis. Okay. And that there were 10,000 treatment centers there and that I didn't want to go home. I didn't know anybody except people that I drank or used drugs with. And I didn't, I didn't like my parents yet. So. Right. And that was like the eighties, 80. Is that when you got sober in the eighties, yeah, right? 87. Oh my God. That's like the breakfast club. Oh my um, God. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of like, I think in pictures and movies and I, you know, sorry, that's just who I am. Whoa. Culture. So, um, yeah. That was a wild time for me. I'm just thinking about like what I was doing at 18 and. Tell me, where were you? I was at Chico. I was up in Chico going to university, um, working at a place called Hey Wands, <laughs> a Mexican dive bar, <laughs> but it was epic. It was the best place ever. Like pitchers of beer. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, like the little the little tacos, like just oh, yeah, guacamole. Oh my God. You know, yeah. at that age, you can eat and drink whatever. And I got a job there because that was the cool place to be. And I just drank. <laughs> but you were like the cool girl. I, mm, I was the party girl. That's definitely, you know, I was a little sister at a, a fraternity. Not a good idea. <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to be in a sorority. I was like, no, that's not my style. So I got into that um, fraternity house situation. And that was definitely um, that yeah, disaster. A slippery slope? Uh, the most dangerous place for a young female. Mm. Um, that is where I was raped. That is where I fell off a building. That is where I was ridiculed and humiliated. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. So when I got sober, they had me do an intake thing with a uh -huh. counselor. And she said, uh -huh. so you have two choices. You can go to college because I'd already been accepted to Redlands University. I was going to study business with a minor in art. But that was the smart way to go. <laughs> the crystal meth took front and center. <laughs> the lady said, so you have two choices. You can go to college and go to outpatient or you can go to inpatient. And I looked at her like, you're kidding me that you're giving an 18 year old that option. Mm -hmm. Really? You really think that's going to happen if I go to outpatient? Like I, I'm going to walk over. No, no, no. Lock me no. up. Yeah. So you were, you went to a treatment center. I did a facility. Yeah. Did you do a sober living as well after? Yeah. So the treatment center was at the top floor of that hospital. Then I flew to a halfway house for eight months in Minneapolis where I there learned how to make my bed Right. And my dishes and do my laundry uh -huh. in a room, in a house full of people that were 13 to 18 years old, men, boys and girls. Yep. And I was the oldest. I was 19. I turned 19 in treatment. So you've never had a legal drink. Nope. I think that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
never heard anyone in my life say that that was cool. That's really cool. Um, Wow. Yeah. The good old days. How you were in treatment, you were in that facility for eight months. I was in the halfway house for eight months. Yeah. Okay. And then I, I worked for a minute at a department store and I thought, this is not why I got sober. Oh, I was so depressed selling fake handbags, like pleather and fake jewelry. And I thought, no. And my mom actually said, you need to, you need to try to get into art school. Oh, good. And so that kind of kicked you off then. Yeah. Then I applied and got in and that changed my life. Getting into art school. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me want to cry. Should we just cry? You can cry. You can cry. I, I love that. It was, it seemed so easy for you. What seemed easy? Like just to make that decision to go to art school. Oh, well, okay. The options were nothing else. Like I had okay. no other thing that I liked to, to do. And in high school, I got kicked out of high school for forging notes. I got away with it for a while, but yep. then they stacked up and they're like, you need to come to the office, please. And so I got whisked off to another school, mm. had to start over. So it mm. took me five years to graduate high school. I started doing more meth, started figuring out how to you know, manipulate even more. Yep. And my, there was one art class, one that we needed to take. I took it for four years because this woman looked me in the eyes and cared about me. Mm. It was the only thing, it's the only experience I had that I remember of somebody being nurturing, Mm -hmm. asking how I was doing, telling me I was good at something, making me sit down and start and finish things. So, and she knew that I was on mess. She didn't tell anybody thank you very much. So she really did save my life because I wouldn't have known what to do with myself. I mean, I went to art school because I didn't know what else to do. Have you talked to her since then? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It it took her years to accept the fact. Like she would hear it and she'd be like, oh no, no. And I'm like, no, actually (laughs) you saved my life. Yeah. Saved my life. That's really cool. And now I feel like the rest of my life has been to pay it forward to teach people that they could use art as a way to process all the shit underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And in the early days of your recovery, uh, did you have resistance to doing what you were told? Are you kidding me? I was goth. Goth. I'm all black, black clothes, black hair, black eyeliner, smoking Mm -hmm. two packs of cigarettes a day. Get the fuck out of my way. Don't tell me what to do. Okay. The cigarette situation. Do you smoke still? No. Okay. Yeah. So cigarettes were like hand, like you couldn't have one without the other, right? It's a cigarette and a drink. And now I can't imagine my life with a cigarette. When did you quit? I quit when I was, uh, when I broke up, when I had a major breakup and I think I was three or four years sober. I can't, honestly, I can't remember. And I was devastated and I was smoking two packs, camel straights, loved them. And that was when the American spirits came out as well. And I was like, Oh, these are God. They are. (laughs) They're perfect. Right. Like there's organic. Yeah. Like even before organic was a cool thing, it was like (laughs) real tobacco. Right. You could really tell like I would get like high off of that. And, uh, I went, God, here we go. (laughs) So 
uh, my girlfriend and I were on the road. She's a musician and we were breaking up on the road. It was kind of crazy. And I remember sitting in the stairwell of a hotel, like, and we didn't, it wasn't like a nice hotel. It was just a hotel. (laughs) And I'm out there like smoking, like chain smoking. Right. And I'm on the phone with my, um, my, my elder. And she says, you can either smoke or drink or eat chocolate cake. You can't do all three. And you've already given up. You've already given up alcohol. Now, do you want to continue smoking? And do you want to continue eating chocolate cake? And I felt really bad. Like I was, I felt like I was dying. And I took one more drag and I was like, I'm going to get chocolate cake. Oh my God, are you kidding? And that, that was like my last cigarette. And I didn't, I didn't know that that was going to be my last cigarette. And, you know, I still had to travel with her. Oh my God. And she smoked like a chain, like she was like, right. It was just, it was, but I had like no desire after that moment. What do you think happened? What do you think? I mean, just for saying that, I mean, I, it was one of those divine moments. It's just like when I stopped drinking, I was just like a half a glass of white wine. Like here's a sip. And I was like, Hmm done. Like what? Uh, I still eat chocolate cake, but I don't eat it like I used to. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's still in the mix sometimes, but people know that I can't like, if I'm binging chocolate cake, there's a big problem. You know what? I we're so alike because I was just talking last night about cookies because right now I'm doing a cleanse, like Uh a cleanse. I'm doing shakes and, you know, green juice, And, um, we went over to my boyfriend's families and there were cookies and things. (laughs) And I admitted that, you know, I can't have one cookie in the house. It's like a bag of chips. Like I know I'm an addict because if you give me a bag of chips, I mean, just, it's so obvious to me. I don't, it's ridiculous, but those cookies, go ahead. No, I was just thinking about how we know that. Right. We know that it's a problem. Yeah. We know now because we're years into this lifestyle, but somebody who's three years, four years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20, they're still in it sometimes. Right. Like I complain a lot about my decaf (laughs) obsession. (laughs) Like I've had to like draw the line at freaking decaf coffee. (laughs) That's funny. And people like, but they're like, you're crazy for this. This is no big deal. But my, the obsession of it is a problem. Yes. I, so what so. is your latest iteration of obsession? Where do we start? <laughs> I know, right. Well, I actually have to say, I get obsessed about my work. I, okay. And I can't stop. Like, okay. I, I don't want to. Okay, let's talk about that. What does that look like? I just purchased some materials before this call so that I can get in the dark room because it's raining today. I'm like, I want to make art and nothing will stop me. Mm -hmm. So I purchased some things so that I can, and it had been on my mind for a long time to get in the dark room again. And I want to make photograms. So I don't need the, all the things I just Uh need some of the things. And so I just did the thing where you hit yes and bought the stuff. So I, I'm thinking a lot about, 
my business? What's next in my business? What am I going to teach next? What, what is my art? What's, what's happening with my artwork? What retreats do I want to have? Where am I going? What? And I love it. I love, I love it. Do you think that you obsess on it because it's so service driven? I, I, I do say to myself, you know, I wish I could just make art and make a living doing that. And then I keep on teaching. Like I can't not teach. Uh-huh. So, so let's get into what exactly are you teaching? Like, what does that look like? Because I know what I teach. So let's hear what you teach. Well, and everybody does. teaches differently, right? So let's kind of go through a little layering. All right. I want to hear yours then too. Um, with the online classes, there's a variety of things, but because I worked with Miguel Ruiz, everything is infused that it that is infused in every single thing I teach. I want to I want to offer opportunity for people to wake up to the fact that 98% of the reason why we are suffering is because of what we're thinking, what we believe. We're so, so in alignment. It's crazy. It's crazy what that you I could have said that same statement. And for anybody who's listening and who is not familiar with Miguel Ruiz, he is. Yeah. He, he wrote the book, the four agreements and the granddaddy. Yeah. He's, and he basically the short version is at 10 years of recovery. I was at another emotional bottom. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to be here. I'd already done the drinking. I already know what that does. Mm-hmm. I wasn't having urges to drink. I was having, I was so I felt so isolated and I was going through a breakup. You quit smoking. And I'm like, I'm out. You know, like <laughs> I, I don't know if I can do this anymore because the people that were drinking, I didn't want to hang out with the people that were going to AA. I was kind of over it. And there, I was in this limbo place, breakup happening. And then a friend of mine said, uh, Miguel's apprentices are in town. I was in Portland and you should come. And I thought, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> For the like 10th time, you know, and, and she said, well, I know you're not busy because he just broke up with you. Mm -hmm. So I was like, fine. Yeah. I'll go. Middle finger. Yeah. Middle finger. You. Two of them. But I went and sat down and heard these people speaking. I didn't know what they were saying necessarily, but I felt that I was home and I never, I like, I just, so anyway, it started a apprenticeship with them that led to an apprenticeship with Miguel Ruiz that led to working in his office that led to helping him run his well just I mean it led to it's still the thing that helps me wake up to the fact that I'm choosing a habit here a a type of addiction to a story that's leading me to suffering and I am I willing to take responsibility for that now and change the channel or not I, and I don't have to, I can hang out in hell if I want. It tastes kind of good sometimes over here. I know it really well and it wastes a lot of time and I'm too afraid of expansion. So I'm just going to hang out over here for a while until I'm done with this. And then I'm going to go back over there and wake up again. So like every, it, it changed my life and continues to, I'm not necessarily apprenticed with him at this moment, but he's still very actively, you know, he's in, I'm always looking at my thoughts and considering what's going on. <laughs> well, it's it's very similar to when we find teachings, right? It's teachings, his message, his words. So if we look at the 12 steps, right? The, the foundations of the 12 steps, there's principles that that program is based on. 
then you kind of just transfer that into Miguel's work, right? There's principles, foundation of his teachings. And there, let's face it, I mean, this, there's nothing new here. It's just the way that somebody passes that message on. Right. And I love that you talked about at 10 years of recovery, you had that, like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. And I think that's something that happens and nobody talks about it and people drink again and then they don't come back. Right. They don't come back. They don't come back or they get really miserable and then they have these awakenings. Yeah. And then they don't even talk about that, which yeah. irks the out of me because that is real life. I mean, this is what we need to be talking about. These spiritual like bottoms that occur as a result of walking the path a day at a time for the long haul. Right. Like, like I know for me, like it's, it's not an option to like pick up again. Right. Me too. But it, yeah. But it's an option for me to uh, drink decaf coffee. It's oh, yeah. right. Like it's still putting damage in my life. It still affects the way that I see the world until I reach another person that has a message that's going to make me change the way that I see the world. Yes. But I have to do, like, I have to take the steps to get there. Like nobody just hands it to you. I feel like I have to be in pain. I mean, I have to be in pain, even if it's just a cookie. I mean, (laughs) it's sugar. It's leading me on a path to self-destruction anyway. I'm obsessed with the sugar. I can't, I'm not getting nutrients. I'm and I, and I was diagnosed with lupus later on in my life. Mm. And so wheat, dairy, and sugar shouldn't be on the table anyway. And so sometimes right. I'm like, it'll be fine. And I sound like an alcoholic. It'll oh, be God. fine. Like right. I have evidence that it won't be fine. Who it's are you? What, how is that fine? Not fine. It's not <laughs> fine. It's not fine. I so, no, it's not fine. <laughs> <sighs> so, and the caffeine, I have to say, I do, I struggle with the espresso thing too. I get like way out of whack. It's our sensitivity. Like I think people in recovery, our little being, our body, the humanness of us. Yeah. (laughs) Really. We're so sensitive. I think so too. And we don't want to be like, we're like, no, I got it. (laughs) So I think that's why I was going back to what you were talking about before. Like the things that then occur, we put the drink down, then what what appears and what I see in new recovery now that I'm hanging out with a lot of people that are yep. newly sober is the joke that's happening around compulsive spending or the joke mm. about the cake or the joke about the, I'm like, okay, let's discuss. I mean, yeah, we're laughing about it here, yeah. but there's underneath the surface of that is a something there's yep. still discontent. Yep. And I, and I don't know how long it takes. I mean, we're all individuals, so we all have a different experience of that, but but I noticed I didn't sm- I didn't drink coffee till I was in treatment. I was a cliche. Mm-hmm. Give me the cigarette and the coffee, mm-hmm. you know. But man, not knowing we're whole is a is a is a thing. It's a thing. It it's is. a thing. It's a thing. The spiritual bottoms are a thing. Yeah, I mean, would you quit? You were talking about the coffee and the cookie and the I mean, not the cookie, the cake. But why would you stop? because it disrupts my life. It really, for me at this point, it dis, it disrupts my relations with my family. It disrupts my emotional wellness. 
it, it, it disrupts the way that I look at myself in the mirror. It affects the way that I'm able to serve others. It's, it's horrible. I have a question and, about that though. How yeah. Do you, well, how do you, what do you do? Cause you're still, okay. Let's say you remove the thing, the mm-hmm. TF, mm-hmm. then what? there's a empty space there. What do you do? I fill it with something else. And typically, type, typically for me, what I fill it with is the G-O-D. I just call it the G-O-D, uh, divine purpose. That's what I fill it with. And when I'm there in that ocean of yumminess, I can be there forever. But my like a little addict, narcissist, ego brain wants, it's like a rat. It's like... <laughs> swimming in that like body of yumminess, like, nah, I can't take it. And it's like a struggle. So that is why my practice is so important to me. Yeah. It's like the, it's, it goes before anything else in my life, kid, husband, <laughs> like, it, it's like, that's how I have to start. And if I can't start there, or if I don't start there the day, it's probably going to go sideways. <laughs> Can you tell me more about your practice when you just say that? It's re- it's really simple. I mean, I literally, I get up at like five or six o'clock in the morning every day, no matter what, no matter what. And I go downstairs, I snuggle in with my dog and I meditate. I go into practice and, and I'm practicing. It could be an hour. It could be an hour and a half, but I know that that meditation is mine where I am in that ocean of yumminess. I love that you say it, the ocean of yum. Oh, there, there's nothing better. Like, and, and it's that time where I am listening for guidance. It's that time where I drop into the different, a different brainwave. I'm it, like, I am in the pocket with the G-O-D. I love that so much. Yeah. What's your practice look like? It looks like getting up at five because yeah. I just do. I don't yeah. have an alarm, but I. Yeah. Can. Right. You just do. Yeah. And sometimes I lay there for an hour looking at my Instagram feed. <laughs> you don't beat yourself up about it. No. Right? You're just in it. No, I'm just being myself. See, that's so good. I mean, I'm learning how to love myself no matter fucking what. Like, that's yep. my goal in life. Yep. Who cares? Yep. If I make a ton of art or not. Who cares? Yep. Whatever. All the things. Um, fill in the blank. But no, I... I, I actually started on Mondays, the activation practice so that people could meet me on Zoom so that we could do it together. Cause I kept saying, I want a morning practice and then I wouldn't do it. So I thought, well, if I'm accountable to other people, so now people join me on Zoom at seven in the morning and we do my practice, which is first I get a download and I just share, like I'm responding to what people are talking about is going on for them. And I respond to that with I would call it Tol- Toltec wisdom or the yep. Nagawa, like we talked about. And um, which I can explain is just what you just said. It's the ocean of yummy. It's just mm-hmm. the knowing without needing to know. And, and I love that. It like, that's where I want to hang out all the time. How can we get others to hang out there all the time with us? Like, how, you know, I, I am constantly talking about mindful living. Cause I think that's a gateway <laughs> it's really easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how, how do we get more people into the ocean of yummy? Well, you know, when people walk into the room and you can feel that they've done a lot of work on themselves, I feel like it starts with us and then yeah. it's just a ripple effect. Yeah. 
even if they didn't never do it, I feel, even if they never, I feel like you're making a change anyway, even, even if there's not acknowledgement that something is happening on, on their end, it's not even up to us. It's like, not even, it's not my job. It's not my business necessarily. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to hang out with a bunch of people that are all on the same, like turned on by the idea and doing the work to forget the story and get into the truth Mm -hmm. who we are. That sounds real good. Um, Somebody said the other day though, that maybe the people that are not interested have already gotten enlightened in another life. So they're just here, you know, just doing whatever. Okay. That idea is fascinating to me. Me too. Because my husband is one of those people. (laughs) And I'm always like, how did I end up? Like, how is this happening? But he is so enlightened in other ways like Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> like, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And he's just not, <clears throat> excuse me, not interested in any spiritual dominion here in this, this passing. But the way he sees the world, the way he operates is so um, spiritual in other ways. I'm always like. So he does bring you to another yes. level of, it, of enlightenment, so to speak, yes. or, or yes. yummy. Yes. Yeah. But, and so, but that, he was probably in another life. Super yeah. Enlightened. Yeah. Like, I mean, who, who are we to know? Yeah. I everybody know here, if everybody here is, a, you know, of the same place yep. and thing energetically, we're all the same. Yes. And who are we to decide what anybody else needs to do? We're like in the way, like my ego thinks that you need to be more like me. I, no. I maybe not. I don't know why you're that way. And I, my preference is to not have lunch with you, but I love you so much. You know, (laughs) I know it's so hard when, uh, you're in conflict with somebody, right. Or at least I'm going to say it's hard for me. Yeah. I had something recently happen and my ego took off and had such great opinions about this person and these people. And I literally had to just. I had to go to bed. I had to like put myself to bed and turn off. And it's fascinating how far the egoic mind will take it and run. Oh yeah. And if I'm not disciplined enough to just turn it off, it'll ruin a relationship. Like, and again, I know that now after this much time. No kidding. I mean, it's taken me a long Let's, I mean, I teach a class called let's turn triggers into treasures. And everybody looks at me like, oh. what are you fucking talking about? I'm like, well, when you're triggered, like that yep. person that you got in a fight with, that's actually a clue that there's some wound that hasn't been healed yet. It's reminding you of something because the person's not doing anything to you. Right. So but, what does that mean? So give me an example. Let's take an example so we can um, help our listener understand that more. Okay, so people piss us off all the time. But, you know, like an easy, easy one would be... Yeah, give us one. Give, give me one of yours. When people have pissed me off. <laughs> like how, though? Let's see. <laughs> count, let me count the ways. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about, you know, in relationship, that's like where the most yes. yummy triggers happen, right? Mm-hmm. And, you, and why can't I think of anything right now? Of course, I'm on the spot. But... He bugs, you know, he bugs me a lot. Like I'll be like, he's just being himself, but I'm triggered by him not, let's just use an easy one. Like he's staying at my house 
and he cleans up after himself. Why isn't he helping like me? Why isn't he helping me make my life easier? Yeah. Staying here. Yeah. So here my expectation. There's my expectation that I never told him. He should know. That's my clue right there. He should know. And I'm going to punish him by thinking things in my head for a long time today mm-hmm. <laughs> and not telling him mm-hmm. and then treat him kind of cold and, and maybe not say it for a while and then blow up in his face because I didn't really know the words. I didn't want to get vulnerable. I didn't want to say the thing. I, I think he should have known. How dare he? He's using me. Like I just start making up s- stories about it. And then if I can stop and notice that that's happening, I can sit down with him and say, I noticed that I'm triggered because of this. And I never even told you what my expectation was. And I don't think I even knew what it was until I noticed I was triggered. And what's great is that he will sit with me and we can talk through the whole thing of like, what does it remind me of? What is it? Where does it come from? And then he learns about me. Mm-hmm. I forgive myself for being an asshole. Mm-hmm. And, and I also forgive him for being himself. I can have a preference if he keeps... Like if I say, I'd really prefer it if you would clean the toilet every week and then he didn't, then we could have another talk. I like that you just said you could forgive yourself for being an asshole. And I think that's such a profound statement. I didn't find forgiveness until I was many years into recovery. And it has been one of the most transformational tools Mm. in, in my recovery to date. Wow. I think people don't look, what I have found is that people tend to just sweep over forgiveness. Yeah. And forgiveness is such a deep, (laughs) deep action. I think it's an action uh, to, undergo, undertake. And so when we forgive, we become uh, open and more loving. Like we, we come back to that source, right? We, we kind of like plug back in, we're tuned in to that ocean of yummy. Uh, and in that really, when you were talking about you and your, your partner, right? That's what I was, yeah. I was just thinking about how you also said, I forgive him. For being himself. For, be, for being himself, right? For just being himself. And, and that's another thing like, wow, that's he's a really not, profound thought. He's not doing anything to exactly. me. Exactly. Right. Ever. That, that's just like. I know. It, it makes my head explode too. It's really, really true that everybody's just being themselves with their yep. own unprocessed trauma. Yep. We don't know the story that they're bringing to the table. We right. think we see them, but we don't. No. We see them through our own lens. We, we can't possibly know what's going on in their head unless they right. actually tell us. Right. And even then they might not have that much awareness about why they do what they do either. Right. So, right. I, I find it really interesting just to watch people be who they are. And then I get to choose who I want to spend time with, but not make people wrong for being themselves. Yeah. It's, and you said something really interesting about the forgiveness piece being an action. And I, and I stopped in my tracks and thought, what does that mean for you? What does the activity of forgiveness look like? I behave differently. How? So for, okay. So like for my son, um, 
I, I don't ask of things or I will make, I will do the laundry, right? Because typically I would like berate him. I'd be like, get the clothes down. Let's go. Let's go. When in reality, you know what? He's freaking 11 years old, 12 years old. And he's like, just not capable. So I have to forgive my, like my obsessive control. My action in forgiveness is just doing the laundry. It's just taking the action. It's stepping into an acceptance point as well. Like I collect data, <laughs> a lot Wait, of it. What are, what sign are you? <laughs> and and so all, I have I collect all these data points, and so yeah. that forgiveness is just do the laundry, just you know snuggle up with him, like mm-hmm. you know. So now I'll just kind of grab him and hug him. Right. He's at that age where he's kind of like awkward and like, eh, I don't know, mom. And I'll just like, come here. You're mine. Give me a hug. Forget about the laundry. That for me is an act of forgiveness for him mouthing off for him being, you know, like now he's really mouthing off. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just made my life easier and there's more love infused in our activities or our day-to-day life. Okay. But I have another question then. Yeah. Because that is an outward act of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that's what you do. You, you made this motion of hugging him. And I was thinking, is that how you forgive yourself? Is it like, is there an activity that you do when you've done something that you would normally judge and feel shame around? How do you, how do you activate that part of yourself that can forgive him and do that towards yourself? I think that comes in my prayer and my meditation. That's the only way that it comes. Like I take it to the yummy and say, help me. Yeah. And then my heart opens. And when I have that expansion, nothing matters. No, it doesn't. I love that place. I love that you know the place in your version of the place. And, and you said something else when you were talking about forgiveness, I was, and how hard it is for us, Mm -hmm. myself included to just give ourselves a break I was thinking about how self-centered and self-absorbed it is of me to think that just to have these conversations with myself about how bad I am. Like just that really, I want to waste my life talking to myself about how bad I am all the time. What, why, how about I just drop the rock? I think there's a book called drop the rock. Yeah. It's such a way it's a waste of energy. It It really is. Okay. It's a waste. But what is behind that though? I feel like there's a reason we're getting something out of it. For me, that reason is an invitation to change. If you're, if you're done feeling. Yes. It's one step closer to activating my change, my transformation, my personal evolution, because I believe that you know, this whole, my whole recovery is about a personal evolution to get me closer to that really divine spirit. And so every time I step into that, I'm closer to it. Yeah. Not easy. No, but 
but it could be easy. What if we just decided it was easy? That's it. We can just decide. I was just talking to somebody the day about this. I I love that you just said that. (laughs) I love that we talk about the same stuff. It can be that easy. It can be that easy if we just make a decision that it's easy. I think, you know, I bump up against that in my business too. Yep. I don't know where those people are that would align with the thing I'm teaching. Okay, then they're not there. They're not there. But if it's, I, I can't even believe you're saying this. <laughs> <laughs> I just literally had that. So it's, it's making that decision, right? It's, it's going to be easy. I'm going to own my forgiveness. I'm going to own that connection. I'm going to, like, this is it. Okay, but you know, the moment when Neo decides that yes. he's Neo. Yes, take it. The Matrix. Yes. Film number one. Yes, i right there with you. Um, when he decides it's a full, it's not like he decided it's like a thing happened and it's everything. It's like emotional, intelligent, physical, and Mm -hmm. it's not just him. I felt like, you know, when he walks down a hallway and you can see the energy. Yes. We feel that we feel the energy. I feel like when everything clicks in and we know without knowing it, Mm -hmm. it is, it's just so it's not just us. Mm-hmm. in the room when we get to that yummy place it's like mm-hmm. a we it's a it is we. it is a we 100 in the pandemic i got disconnected from that the we and i met with my teacher a couple of maybe a month ago i was like i need you now all hands on deck and and we had this session and she literally like scraped the delusion that i had put back on me of not being connected, right? The people, the ego, the, the, this like, oh, the pandemic, oh, my life is over, this place, oh, like, you know, all the stuff that we just pile on or like that I pile on. Yeah. And I did a session with her and literally the next day, plug back in. It was so good. We need those people. We, we do. We forget yes. that we're, I, I like to say loneliness is a lie and yeah. that that loneliness is the thing that usually takes me down first, the yeah. hardest. It's like yeah. hanging out on my shoulder. Like, you know, you don't have any friends, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, good. I like that you said that whole piece of like that you scraped it. I can see that yeah. the solution of separateness of mm-hmm this is happening to me and I'm alone in this and it's awful. Like actually there's more happening that we can't even see. Yeah. I, I love that the spec, I just was told again, like the spectrum of light is much more than what we see, what we perceive. And that, you know, it's the size of a toothpick compared Mm -hmm. to like a great highway. (sighs) And that's all we see is the the toothpick little sliver Mm -hmm. of what's Mm -hmm. happening in the world. And we think that this is real. Yeah, this is not it. This is not it. This is not it. Okay, I could go on forever. Well, me too. But we're at our like time. No. So I know. (laughs) No, we can't. Uh, Will you come back again? I'd like to. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, So we're gonna have another conversation. I'm really excited about it. I don't know when that'll be, but you'll come back again. People can connect with you now. You're out there in the world. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show with me and sharing your wisdom, right? There's so much wisdom in long-term recovery and there's truth here. 
Yeah, and it sneaks up on you. You don't really realize what you know until you're, you know, in the world dealing with things differently and somebody points it out to you. We can't see ourselves really. It's, I think it's called embodying. Embodiment. It's a thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, go for embodiment. <laughs> go for embodiment. Catherine, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love, I love this. I love the conversation. I'm so glad yeah. we met. We will have another one. Looking forward to it. Mama, may you find something bright, something light, and something so juicy that it fills you up so you can be the best mama I know you can be. Until next time, take good care. And that's a wrap. Thank you again for listening and hanging out with Catherine and I. She will be on the show again and again, maybe even a regular co-host. Check out the show notes over at lanekennedy.com forward slash podcast and schedule your DNA session. Now, I'm only taking a limited handful of people throughout the holiday season, and I know you want your health to change now. All right, my friend, I'll see you next time. Take good care.